present in the building next? So I just got a text from Mr. Fenwick. He it's might fine. be here at 1045. Perfect. Perfect. That's fine. It's totally good. Guys, welcome to Real Talk with Keith Smith. It's a Friday morning in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live in downtown Charlottesville, the heartbeat of this community, eight blocks we love absolutely dearly. Today's program is presented by Yes Realty Partners and a supply chain of trusted advisors in real estate. I encourage you to go to realtalkwithkeithsmith.com and click the Partners tab. These are folks personally vetted by Keith Smith who has 37 years of real estate experience under his belt. Um, the talk show is on every social media platform known to mankind. Smartphones are ubiquitous, and social media is an addiction. And yes, we've exploited that for profit on the I Love Seville Network. Um, Judah Wickhauer, the director, why don't we go to studio camera and welcome two friends of the program, two very distinguished gentlemen, two sharply dressed guys, two guys that have institutional memory and reputations that are sterling. Keith Smith and Lloyd Smith. I think he institutional used... Institutional memory means old. I think he, but I think he <clears throat> used the word institutional in the wrong, wrong context. Institutional memory means uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, seasoned and experienced. Yeah. Or institutionalized. <laughs> I think that's where he used the instant word institutional wrong. Lloyd, how you doing, man? Doing great. Good. Hey, um, thank you for doing this. It looks like I got an email. Mr. Fenwick will probably join us here uh, at 1045, I guess. So, so poor Judah, on top of doing all the other things he's going to do, he also has to figure out how to work in a guest live. I think that's the easy part of what you have to do here. <laughs> Judah says yes, absolutely. Uh, Why don't we get uh, the mayor in the mix running for re-election? How is the campaign going, our friend? Well, I haven't really been campaigning, certainly not the way I did four years ago. Uh, it's pretty clear that the turnout for this election is going to be driven by the state senate, by the House of Delegates mm -hmm. races. Uh, I think I've got pretty good name recognition among the folks who are going to show up. Uh, I don't know of anybody who is actively mad at me as opposed to just mad at the city or mad at government generally. So I've, you know, I've got a few ads running and I'll have my signs up and other than that, you know, I spend 40 hours a week as a lawyer, 40 hours a week as a mayor. I don't have time to campaign, frankly. So there, th there we go. You're doing the job, right? Yeah. So uh, we sent the little pre-show email out, and uh, I just want to kind of kick this off with one quick question. Tell everybody who's listening a little something about yourself that they don't know. I learned something about you, but go ahead and tell somebody something that nobody knows about Lloyd Snook. Well, one thing that hopefully they will come to know in the next week is that I am a budding thespian. Uh, I am going to be playing the role of the governor of Virginia in a play that will be done up at PVCC called Can't Feel at Home. It's about the, uh, the, the time back in the 1930s when the, uh, the, the mountain people were being moved off the mountains to be able to make room for the Shenandoah National Park. And they decided they needed to have some local VIP play the, the role of the governor. And so that they, they picked me, and I get to play. Or, 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 or do you have asp other aspirations? I that, do not that, have yeah. other aspirations. <laughs> you have other, are you trying to release some, some future elected position here? No, because uh, if, uh, if anybody gets, gets wind of this, they're going to say, no way for this fellow, because yeah. the, the, I'm playing the role of Governor George Peary, whom nobody's ever heard of, but he was governor of Virginia 1934 to 1938. 
And I, at my la my next, to the, I have the next to the last scene in the play where I basically tell the sheriff of Rockingham County, "You go evict those people. You burn their houses down. You are oh. an agent of the law." Okay, well, time out, time out. We're trying. You run, it's election season. We do not want. <laughs> I think folks may not uh, also know this. Ray Cadell highlights this all the time. Our mayor has the voice of a songbird as well. Ah. So not today. I don't. He's a dynamic man. He's a, a thespian. He's a, a vocal standout. He's a hell of a leader, a talented esquire, a good guy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Mayor Snook, what are, the, uh, what are some of the key points or the key uh, topic matters you're hearing um, from constituents that they may want you to keep a close eye on? You know, upzoning seems to be front and center. Upzoning is certainly one of them, but I was, I've been surprised when I've gone to neighborhood associations and so on uh, that the very few, unless you're going to a place where like the president of the neighborhood association has taken a very active role, they're more interested in what are you going to do about the violent crime problem? Uh, there are a few other issues like that, or there, you know, I, I get a fair number of questions about the proposal to put a bunch of you know, 200 and plus apartments at the end of High Street, uh, right up against the Rivanna River. Uh, those are the kinds of things that we're getting a lot of conversation about. But upzoning is certainly one of them. Uh, Neil Williamson watching the program. He's got a little joke for the mayor over here. Important to note, the state of Virginia kicked the mountain folks off their land, and then they gave it to the federal government. That's right. Um, we have Johnny Ornalis, the owner of El Mariachi, watching the program. Bill McChesney, the mayor of McIntyre, I believe, a <laughs> classmate of yours at Classmate one time. of mine, that's right. Memory serves correct. Bill McChesney, hello. Um, gun violence. I'll be straightforward here with you. Um, my wife has mentioned to me multiple times on girls' nights, like, say, a Thursday evening. She leaves me with the boys. She gets some time to herself. And I say, are you going to go downtown, Zocalo, for a cocktail or drink? She's mentioned to me that me and my girlfriends right now don't feel safe going as a girl pack to Charlottesville downtown at night. She said that to us multiple times. Point of concern, you and I both bleed the downtown mall. We love the downtown mall. I do believe Chief Cotchis is turning the ship around, the proverbial ship. But I want to throw that to you and let you go anywhere you want to go. Well, okay, first of all, let's talk about reality and perception and to the extent, frankly, to which perception becomes reality. The reality is that violent crime in Charlottesville, as violent crime nationally, has been on the decline for 20 years. But it ticked up again in, in 2020, 2021, 2022. Uh, and so the, the reality, and it's, it's been a, a, a steep decline and a relatively uh, short incline, uh, but that doesn't change the perception that things are getting worse. And they are a little bit. Uh, but, you know, the, the interesting problem is, is to try to, to balance the perception and the reality. The, <clears throat> the number of violent crimes, the number of shootings, generally down up the last couple of years. Now, what can we do about it? The first thing we have to do about it is to understand the problem. There are basically, I've, I've said, there are basically three things that are behind most of the shootings. Either we get a domestic violence situation, which frankly, policing doesn't solve. 
some social programs can help with that. Some court programs can help with that. But it's not really something a council can have much to do about. The second is uh, adult crime, which an awful lot of which is generated from one of two things, either specifically a, you know, a drug you know, drug deal gone bad, something like that, or uh, a, a private beef. The Buck Squad folks have been working on this private beef thing, trying to get, trying to find out where the private beefs are to calm things down, to mediate some things, and that's been effective to some extent. Uh, and as far as the drug thing goes, I, I want to point out a couple things. One is that the number of those kinds of crimes still is lower than it used to be, number one. Number two, that we've got suspects and arrests made in all of these crimes. So whereas a year ago there was a concern that we weren't getting the cooperation from the citizenry, now we're getting cooperation from the citizens. Now we're getting people telling us stuff now, uh, and that comes from reestablishing a connection between the, the police department and, and the folks on the street. So that's starting to work. That's something that Michael Kotchis was really big on when he, when he got started, and he's been working on that, and it's helping. So then the third piece is the, the juvenile shootings. And the, I mean, the only good thing I can say about that is that at least those shootings haven't resulted in very, haven't resulted in any deaths, and they haven't. Uh, and maybe a few injuries, but that's about it. Because frankly, most of them are lousy shots. The but juvenile shooting he's referencing, Omni Hotel parking lot. Mm -hmm. We've dubbed it the 2023 version of the OK Corral here in Charlottesville. <laughs> um, and you're right, the perception is a bit sketchy. There was a murder outside a bar in the downtown mall. Right. Uh, some kids coming home from school in the 10th and Page neighborhood uh, with a crossing guard right in attendance may or may not have witnessed um, uh, a truck um, that had someone die in it um, with the drug deal that's gone bad. Um, and to your point, maybe the crime is um, staying steady from a statistical standpoint, but the counterpoint is the crime has become a little bit more prevalent in high commerce areas or touristy areas, and that's impacted the perception. Yeah, and it has. And but, you know, if, if we look at where the crimes – and let me, let me just finish up one thought, and that's this, the question of juvenile crime. Uh, council is very concerned about that because that may be one thing we can do something about. When we're looking at kids who complain they've got nothing else to do, uh, but they hang around and just sort of hang around and get in trouble. Lawyer. So, and so if that means youth sports, if that means – uh, making sure that kids can get into Washington Park pool to, to swim and, and so on, if that means uh, various other youth programs, theater arts programs, music programs, all kinds of things that we had gotten away from in recent years, and we need to bring some of those back. I would love it, for example, as I speak now as a former Boy Scout, former Boy Scout leader, I would love it if we could establish or reestablish the Boy Scout troops in, in some, some of the churches, for example. Those, that kind of thing might help a great deal. So council is, is interested in trying to find youth programs that will provide constructive alternatives. The real problem overall, and this is not just in Charlottesville, but it's a national problem, has been that increasingly people have tended to think of it's normal to solve a problem with a gun. 
10 years ago, 20 years ago, I think the perception was that that was a pretty unusual thing. But now it seems a lot of folks are carrying guns, and sometimes they're carrying guns because they're afraid that somebody else is carrying a gun. And we get shootings in ways and for reasons that would never have resulted 10 or 20 years ago. I don't know how we solve that problem, That's but I tough. think we've, we've, there are a few things we can work on, and we're trying to work on those. Now, as, as far as the downtown mall in particular, one of the things that has been the casualty of the, the great resignation, so to speak, the loss of 30-plus police officers, has been that we haven't been able to have a constant patrol presence on the downtown mall you know, until 1 or 2 in the morning. And I'm hoping that we're going to be getting, I think we figure, six or seven new officers as of July 1, just recent graduates from the police academy. Awesome. That will be a good step. We were hoping to put another six or seven into the police academy to come out four or five months later uh, fully ready to go. So we're working on that. Michael Kotchis has been, a, been doing a good job of that recruiting. And to his credit, Tito Durrett did a good job on that kind of recruiting as well because the people who are now coming out of the out of the academy largely were people who were recruited during Tito's term. Who's the assistant police chief under Michael Kotchis, Tito Dredd. Right. He's a heck of a guy as well. Yeah. So, so he was also retiring, by the way. Really? Yeah. When did he make that announcement? I don't know that he's formally made the announcement, but there will be a... End of a, this year? At the end of this month. Tito Durrett, oh my goodness. When I see you, sir, and I see him often, he's a very recognizable guy, broad-shouldered guy. I will say congratulations for your retirement and thank you for your service. This man became a, a man in the Charlottesville Police Department. I believe he started as a junior police officer, went all the way up the ranks, was the interim police chief, and is now Cotchess' right-hand man until the end of the month. I think Mayor Snook just broke some news right there. I wasn't intending yeah. to. I thought it was. I thought it was known. I'm pretty. Yeah. I did not. I follow all this yeah. stuff as closely as you. I did not. Well, not as closely as you because you have much You're more intel than I do. You're the mayor. Yeah, yeah. In case you want, he's the mayor. He's the mayor. Just, just in case you want, with bells, by the way. But we'll, we'll leave that as an insight. We like the mayor. Can you tell? So look, I, I could talk a little bit about the youth end of it. You know, as as a product of the '60s and the '70s in New York City, that this is very similar type of scenario. And, you know, the local police officer, the beat officer that we used to walk the neighborhood used to used to be the point to grab the kids and not necessarily grab them, but educate them and say, look, hey, here's a, you know, here's a YMCA, here's some. So, you know, the part of the problem is it's short 30 police yeah. officers, right? Yeah. And that's something else you guys can fix. Which, by the way, is about 25 percent of our of our approved Number so that's a huge number. That's it's a huge. A huge, that's a huge. And currently, currently, and I just met this gentleman. Um, currently, the beat officer for the downtown mall, um, the longstanding beat officer, um, has retired. Uh, very kind guy, knew everyone on the beat. Kind of looked like Super Mario uh, of Mario yep. Brothers. Mm -hmm. um, I miss him. The replacement is also a kind gentleman. A little long in the tooth, if you may. Sixty-eight years old. Um, Hold uh, I'm not saying he's old. Is he back on this whole institution? still young. But gentlemen, <laughs> this man is pedaling and pushing a bike and yeah. walking up and down the downtown mall for you know 10 what? hours. Good for you him. gentlemen sit in chairs and fight the battles with pens and notepads. Should I show him a picture of me on my bike? Maybe he, he, he can go ahead and, and do that. But, but what we're talking about is the real 
solving of, in my opinion, of the issue is the direct contact between the police officers and the community and community engagement on that. And that's something the city does control. I mean, you can't control the hiring of it, but you can surely control the budgetary side of it. So there's enough money to make it attractive for a police officer or somebody wanting to get into this line of work. Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, as a, as a kid that grew up in there, it, it worked. I mean, the police officers knew your first name, knew who you were, knew where you lived. And knew, knew where you, you were supposed to be. Knew where you were supposed to be. And as a kid growing up, what you wanted to happen is the police officer, you know, if you were doing something you shouldn't have done, not that I've ever done that. Of course not. <laughs> The statute of limitations is expired. Don't worry about it. And if yeah, you have I'm not done, so sure about that. And Keith, if you had done something that you're not supposed to do, I know a pretty good lawyer yeah. that might be able to help you out of there. Uh, but the fear was that they told your parents, right? So I'd rather, you know, you know, whatever you needed to do, Mr. Police Officer, you did it, and and that was that. But. But the point was, is there was programs. You, they took you to the YMCA. You know, gangs were very prevalent back in those days, and and you know, you had to walk different different streets to get to school because right. you didn't walk that street because it belonged to that gang, and and all these different things. But uh, in any event, uh, excuse me, I forgot to shut off my hearing aids. Um, that's something that the city uh, can definitely do, and the city council can do. But th it comes down to getting back to community policing. There you go. Uh, we used to have a community policing program. Uh, over the last four or five years, we got away from community policing. There were some active, noisy voices saying we want less police presence in our communities. Uh, and so the there was less police presence. The more recent view is, no, we want police presence in our communities. We just want the police presence to be done right. To be fair. Well, then, but what to be the, equitable. It builds yeah. trust that the kids yeah. can then communicate. I mean, we, uh, does anybody know who's, what stickball is here? Yeah. I love yeah. stickball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's we, a baseball fan. He used to play stickball in the middle of the street, and the cop would pitch for us, uh -huh. right? And, you know, that was that. And the firemen would, would but everybody was community-oriented. Everybody lived in the community, which brings us to a housing conversation. Mm -hmm. That's also part of the problem. Part of the problem is, a, as you know, I sit on the land, I chair the land trust. We have a new police officer that we're trying to help to buy a home to live in the city, and we just can't get it to happen. Yeah. Right? The, there's not enough product. There's only one single there's only one single family attached townhome available to buy. It's a little <clears> bit outside of the price point. We're trying to work on some subsidies and all this kind of great stuff. So where the city can help, not that I'm making a pitch for the land trust, but I may just do that. <laughs> is it wouldn't be the first time. Get out of town. Not. Lloyd <laughs> Snook is going to hear from a nonprofit asking for money. Get uh, out of town. I think he's referring to me. <laughs> oh, I know. But I am also referring to the many nonprofits that ask yeah, Lloyd Snook yeah, and Charlottesville you know, government for money. But that, you know, God love it. Charlottesville is like the nonprofit capital of the world. We have more nonprofits per capita in Charlottesville than any other place in the state. Is that true? Yeah, is that absolutely true? That's a true statement. And what happens is every time somebody in Charlottesville gets a break, any idea they say I'm gonna go start a nonprofit That's so and what I keep trying to tell people is why don't you get together with any of the ten other nonprofits already trying to work in the same space and if you pool your resources maybe you will have between you enough money to have a, a really solid executive director to have a really solid finance person where these organizations founder is they're too small to have the overhead necessary to grow so, That's good advice. Mr. Mayor, 
we are thinking a lot alike. That's the reason why there was a merger between the land trust and PHA, and there's other nonprofits in the housing space that we're trying to bring under the envelope. On PHA itself, Piedmont Housing Alliance, Thank you. was an alliance yeah. of about three organizations about yeah. 40 years ago that finally had that same realization at the same time. So, I'm, so. I'm bringing just like just regular business thinking too. It's okay. We're much stronger together than we are yeah. apart. So you'll be, you'll be seeing us knocking on the door, but back to the policing thing and helping people stay here is that there, there has to be a larger pool of subsidy so that we can get this police officer, this young police officer to actually live in the community, live in the community that he's policing. It's going to be a female that she is policing on that. So they know each other. People yeah. start developing. That's legitimately an issue. Like we have a lot of um, a lot of the officers on the police force listen to the show because we're very, very, very pro police in this town on this sure. network. Sure. And it's tough to be pro police in this network because there's a very small organized um, minority on Twitter that attacks people like me that say I back the blue. So the blue listens to the show because we support them. And they say, if you can get the word out to the community, we could get more people working here if we could afford to live within the community. Almoral County and some of the other jurisdictions in Central Virginia are offering perhaps the same compensation, in some cases more. And those are jurisdictions that are much more pro-blue and the guys and gals can afford to live within those yeah. communities. So the, the scales of justice, do I commute 30 minutes to a job where the folks may not like me, or do I just stay where I currently live and have better quality of life, save the money on the commute, and make more money where I live? So those who watch the show know I come from a, a service family, right? My father, grandfather, great-grandfather, all New York City firemen, the neighborhood I grew in, the building I grew up in, your dad was either a cop or a fireman. That's just That was just the neighborhood that, that you grew in. And so I'm personally always pro pro. Uh, cop firemen, you know, sanitation, all these folks that serve us, you know, but it goes back to, you know, what, what AMI, area median income right now is 110, right? 110,000. 80% of that is somewhere in the 80. 88. 88, thank you. 88 uh, percentile. So, you know, that is almost difficult, almost impossible to buy um, an affordable residential unit. I know this, again, as being a land trust chair, in order to hit that 88%, the maximum sales price cannot exceed, in today's environment, about 215 225 right? right? So we've got literally nothing that's available for purchase in the city of Charlottesville that meets that criteria. So there has to be subsidy that's brought in to help l lower that, that number down. So, uh, hey, you know, um, zoning rewrite, up zoning, whatever you want to call it. Um, I bet my mustache on it. I'm pretty sure you won the bet. I won the bet. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I won the bet. Neil's I watching. I know. I know. I was trying to invite. So is the Daily Progress. I tried to invite Neil to come on the show on Wednesday to talk about the results of the of the election. I didn't say this, but when I was really saying, why don't you bring a bottle of bourbon because you owe me one? <laughs> For those who don't know, I bet my mustache uh, with Neil that on the 19th, which is Monday that the city council would would adopt the new zoning rewrite, which is clearly not going to happen. I, I want to throw something to the mayor here. Have And, and I've a lot of stakeholders have mentioned this to me. Um, I've also perhaps noticed it um, with some of the body language or some of the things you've said. Are you cooling a little bit on upzoning in its full magnitude? Well, 
cooling is probably the wrong way to put it. Uh, I am... Let me say this. I am cooler than some. Okay. I have always been cooler than some. Uh, and I think what <clears throat> to understand kind of where I'm coming from, we have to understand that the upzoning proposals have basically three pieces. Yep. The first piece is a what I think is the most comprehensive change and the one that is going to be the most important and the one that I am actually in favor of that says on every residential lot you can have up to three dwelling units. That automatically triples the number of possible units. It automatically increases substantially the number of units that can be built. It means that a house could be turned into a duplex or a triplex simply by doing interior changes. Uh, and what, hi- what we've seen historically in places like Walla Walla, Washington, if you want to go smaller than Charlottesville, or Minneapolis, if you want to go larger than Charlottesville, what we've historically seen is a lot of duplex conversions. Yeah. Well, those duplex conversions turn into the, the single-family attached units mm-hmm. that are so rare in Charlottesville mm-hmm. right now. So this is what we call the missing middle the, the kinds of things that in between the single family and the 20 unit apartment complex, whether that means a duplex or a quadplex, whether it means some townhouses, uh, or basically the idea is you can get a building that looks kind of like a house, maybe up to 4,000 square feet. And from the city perspective, do we really care whether you've got four 1,000 square foot apartments in there? or whether you've got one 4,000 per, you know, person in a substantially larger house. Uh, we do to some extent. We've got to be a little bit aware of uh, parking requirements and things like that. And infrastructure strains. Yeah, but infrastructure really is not that big a problem. And p- people think about infrastructure. I would look primarily at streets rather than, you know, for example, we have the water supply. We okay. really do. Trust me, we've got the water supply. Okay. Uh, the sewer capacity, same issue. Uh, but the streets is, is always streets will always be a problem. So that's the first thing is, is is this change, and I think that that all by itself would be a major change in the right direction, uh, and it would allow this missing middle construction. That's not going to build many affordable units if we're using the Keith Smith articulation of the concept, where affordable units refers to people who have to have subsidies to make it work, where they're looking at 60% of AMI or less. It would help deal more with the housing affordability portion, which is this general notion of we need more supply, uh, of the people of, of the places where people who want to be 80, 100 percent AMI, even they can't find a place to buy right now. So that would take some of the pressure off and would make a lot of places more affordable. Now that's all my my first piece of the uh, the, the three pieces of the whole zoning uh, the upzoning proposal. And by the way, hi Bob. Hey Bob. <laughs> Bob Fanwood's in the house. We're yeah. at the studio camera here. Hello Bob. Sorry, I'm late, but uh, it's hard to find a parking spot around here. <laughs> parking Could is that a be Funny you should talk about that. We were just talking about parking. About the density? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> we're talking about, a dense, about parking in residential neighborhoods. We, we anyway. talked about maybe Mayor Snook cooling a smidge on upzoning. He highlighted that of the council currently, he's been the coolest. And by coolest, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe... 
concerned, uh, maybe um, wanting to take a serious look. This gentleman, Bob Fenwick, is running very much on a platform and campaign. He's a one-term counselor. Um, he's running for re-election, or he's running for another term. It would not be re-election, but he's running for another term. Your platform very much is concerned, and let's pump the brakes on upzoning in the city of Charlottesville. Yes. Absolutely. Talk to us about that. All right. Well, Lloyd, did you finish what you were saying about the... No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. it's okay. Well, let me, let me... Jump in. These situations, you got to have time to finish an answer. That's... So, I'll be glad to start talking now, but I'm interested in what Lloyd says. He... he you're right. He is. Well, let's let's hit let's hit the reset button a little bit. So, uh, why don't we kick it off real quick? Tell us who you are, why you're running, and then we'll jump back into the uh, the uh, upzoning thing. So, tell us a little bit okay. about yourself for those who um, don't know you. Which one? Are all of these cameras? Oh yeah. Okay. He's yeah. rotating yeah, all yeah. these cameras. All, all you got to do is, is look at a mic. You and got talk. the Daily Progress, NBC 29, and the Weekly Newspaper on. Okay, great. You got to figure out what your good side is, yeah. Bob. Yeah. They're all good, Bob. Yeah, they're all good. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm Bob Fenwick. I was on council from, I think, 2014 through 2017. Um, and um, August 12th happened, or September 12th. Uh, August. September, was it August? Uh, and it really changed the city. And um, after that, it was the pandemic. So we've been in sort of a, a real mess for five or six years, and we're just now starting to come out of it. So um, I had a family situation that I had to take care of, but people would always text me and email me and say, Bobby, can you do anything about this? Uh, we got a zoning situation here where the citizens are not being listened to. There really is no public uh, involvement in this, in this proposal and, and how to put it together. Uh, I didn't have time at the probably two or three years ago, but that's basically what I've heard for two or three years, and that was possibly the, the reason why I jumped into the race. I was waiting for somebody that would be strong enough to present a, an alternative or to give a good critique of what the city was about to do, and um, when I really didn't see that happening, I decided to jump in again. Your platform is, is, is seems to be pretty straightforward. You're very concerned about taxes and the direction we're heading with taxes on citizens to the point that maybe the community is getting gentrified. Um, it's certainly the priority on taxes on rooftops, people's houses, and your platform is, is pretty much against upzoning. I think we're going to see with you, Mr. Fenwick, and I respect anyone who's willing to put themselves in the public eye Amen. to run for a government spot because it ain't about the money. I think this man's getting 20 for the mayor, I think somewhere 18 to 19 yeah. um, for, for a, a counselor. So let me, let me jump in please? real quick. So please. as you talk, I'll... Yeah, please. Um, so I'm not against upzoning. I'm not... I mean, I'm, I made my career in real estate... I'm a general contractor. Right, right. Um, so closings are a very important part of my business. I understand about the, the the age of the city and how it needs to be refreshed. So I'm not against upzoning, but I'm very much for the citizens being involved in how that upzoning occurs. And that's what I just said. Basically, the, the citizens didn't feel like they were being taken seriously to the point that one of the members of the planning commission 
called for a boycott of a small business. That's Roy Stolzenberg. He's yeah. watching the show right now. Yeah. Merely because... Which actually had nothing to do with the upzoning proposal, let's be clear. Well, no, no, I, but I, I introed that by saying that people were not being listened to, so that kind of thing. Um, and um, I didn't think that was the way to go. This has been going on across the board, really, with, with city issues. The people don't think they're being listened to. Well, when they say that, when they complain and they say, look, you're not listening to me, whoever they're talking to says, we are listening to you. But what that person is saying never seems to make it into the conversation where the proposal is being um, presented or, or critiqued or whatever it is. So um, if it were up to me, I would stop the upzoning proposal as it sits on the table now. Wow. This afternoon. Wow. The developers don't really need the breaks that they're going to get in this ups in the current proposal. For the last 10 years, they've had basically almost everything they've wanted. And in most cases, it's worked out pretty good for them. And if anybody takes issue with that, if you were to start at Beer Run and walk your way or ride your way up almost to the um, rotunda, you'll see building after building, even some of the side streets, like uh, Riverwalk. Um, so we're doing pretty good, but what has accompanied that is really a lack of what some people call affordable housing. Now that's really a side, that's kind of a peripheral thing, but all of these issues that we're gonna talk about and that we have talked about through this campaign so far are tied together almost all of them, in one way or the other. The zoning, um, public participation, the budget, uh, whatever, you, whatever you want to bring up. So does that... No, I think that was a great answer. I'd love to get Mayor Snook's take on this. And, and before I throw, you know, offer that opportunity, I think we're truly going to get a temperature of the city of Charlottesville on Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, based on this barometer right here. I think this is a bellwether yeah. of the city of Charlottesville, Bob Fenwick, and his campaign. Yeah, Tuesday's going to be a really interesting. I'm looking forward to our show on Wednesday, yeah. by the way. Yeah, this man, yeah. if you get on council, and I think you have, you have a chance, man, and I think your campaign of what you're saying with the taxes and the upzoning and let's listen to the constituents is going to resonate with a hell of a lot of people, especially in an off-off year. Yeah. I think we're really going to see what's going to happen here. Mayor Snook, anywhere you want to go. Well, Lloyd, if, real quick. Look, if I'm successful, I'll be one of five. I totally get that. I think Lloyd will be another one of five. So I think, I think this man's going to be on. <clears throat> I think this man's going to be on. I think Michael Payne's got a pretty good shot because the incumbent has tremendous name recognition and Payne and Snook are incumbents. It's all about that third seat. Yeah. This third seat is up for grabs. I think Mr. Cooper may have put himself in a tough spot with, yeah. the, with the fundraising and the chat GBT issue that's out there now. I, I, I think I, it's between him and Natalie. So I, I do want to get this out. I invited everybody to show up today. So thank you for showing, for showing up. The, the, Michael couldn't make it today because he had a business meeting in Richmond, but the other two chose not to, not to join us, which was a little um, odd. Uh, I'm curious. I, I'll leave it at that. I thought it was a great opportunity for... Mayor Snook is itching to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me just say, I, I've not, I haven't talked to anybody else, but both Natalie and Deshad actually have jobs. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you, know, you have I, a job. I do too, but I also... You're self-employed. I, 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 I think he was digging... I think that dig was maybe towards me, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, so uh, let me 
just a couple of thoughts on what, on what Bob had said. First of all, when I've been hearing these complaints about there's no opportunity for public involvement for two years. And I can tell you after thousands, literally thousands of emails and at least 20 meetings, public meetings, most of them broadcast, uh, most of them, uh, I mean, certainly well attended, I would, I would venture a guess that we have heard from uh, probably two or 3,000 people. Now, in all honesty, many of the people who are writing to us most passionately are actually county residents. And I'm not quite sure how I'm supposed to deal with that. But I have the ability, you know, when I, when I get an email from somebody, I can look them up and I can see where they live. And when they make an impassioned plea for what the city ought to be doing, and I'm thinking, why aren't you making the same impassioned plea to the county board of supervisors? Well, because uh, they only limited, they've already limited the county to only 5% development. I understand. <laughs> yeah, but, but here, I'll, I'll jump in and add to that. And I've been preaching this or saying this for 503 shows that we're doing today. We're all interconnected. Yeah. What, what you guys do on council affects Almore County, affects my home, my sure. home county of Fulvana, and vice versa. That's why this housing conversation, in my opinion, is so important. But I'll let you respond a little more to, uh, to Bob. Anyway, Mr. Fenway. So, so what, I, what I really wanted to do is get back and finish my, my answer. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I was saying that there are three pieces to the upzoning proposal. The first is the, the three units per lot. I'm in favor of that. Historically, what we've seen is that it will result in slow but nonetheless significant uh, increase in number of units. Uh, it's not going to all by itself cause huge changes in neighborhoods, and it will result, when it results, it would be resulting in changes that would look like other houses in the neighborhood. It wouldn't be a 20-unit apartment complex, for example. The second change that's being proposed is uh, a breakdown between RA, RB, and RC lots, where an RA lot could take up to three or four units, uh, an RB lot could take up to six units, an RC lot could take up to eight units. Uh, I'm not convinced that we need to have that degree of intensity uh, I think that we, and I certainly don't think we should have an entire street of that. So what I've suggested is that we figure out some way, if we've got RA everywhere with up to three lots, uh, up to three units permissible, that we have some way of perhaps on, on corner lots, some way of rationing it so that we don't have every single lot going to be developed to the point of eight units per, uh, per lot. Uh, and so I would scale back on that. The third piece is for the some so-called double density bonus for an all affordable uh, complex. So it would say if you have the right to build four units, we'll let you build eight units provided that they are all affordable to people making less than 60% uh, AMI. The problem is that in order to do that, and I've worked out the numbers with a, sort of a, a pro forma that I've run by some people who know a lot more about this stuff than I do, everybody agrees that those units will never be built. The subsidy is too high. You need, you're going to need like a million dollars a lot subsidy to you're, make that you're happen. Gonna, and I know this world well. Um, uh, you're going to need, like I said, to hit 80% AMI, because I, Bob, I chair the, the Piedmont Community Land Trust, so I understand 
uh, what this is required. You can't exceed a sale price of 215, 225, call it 215. It's going to cost you 400 grand just to produce a unit. Yeah. So the subsidy is around 200, minimum $200,000. So you're 100% right. It's probably not going to happen unless there's a ton of tax incentives, a ton of um, uh, connection fees waived, you know, all the stuff. And as you know, um, I'm working on uh, the Albemarle County uh, developer incentive. I'm, I'm, I'm running that, that group, which I want to invite everybody to show up publicly. But those are the, the math on that is pretty, pretty large undertaking. Yeah. So, so what I've suggested is let's just take that off the table. First of all, the folks on the left are extremely excited about it, even though it will never be built. And the ex folks on the right are extremely upset about it, even though it will never be built. And so let's take some of the political heat out of this equation, take that out of the, out of the, the formulation of the, the plan, uh, and let's look at what is really likely to get built. And what, what I would like to see with the, the, the three units per lot and some degree of uh, higher intensity, but rationed in some way. Be best odds uh, from what I've been able to gather. We'll see more of this in about a month when a new economic analysis is expected to come out. Uh, best view of that is that it would result in perhaps three or 400 units a year, uh, and, but no more. So Bob, I'll let you jump in here for a minute, but uh, you know, I've a lot of people watching you guys I, here. I've been saying this for a long time. It is not going to result in a large number of units. Uh, I'm on a national cohort. I look at this all throughout the country, small cities, large cities. The, the, the single family detached turning into a duplex, that's the path that's going to happen. Because that's the path of least resistance. It's the path of least resistance. And most affordable remodeling costs. And so, uh, correct. Where the city can help on that to try to, uh, and Bob, I prefer the term housing affordability over affordable, affordable housing. Um, affordable housing means different things to different folks on that end of it. What has worked in these smaller cities that, that I was part of um, is these uh, incentives, tax incentives, connection incentives to say, hey, look, if you do this to 80% AMI, 60% AMI, and you rent it out, you know, there's a 15-year moratorium on taxes or wh whatever it is. That's what's helping the affordability portion of it. If you don't have that component in it, they'll go Airbnb, Right, they'll go. Um, you know, I mean, Richmond rate. City just made Airbnbs completely legal. They said normally the requirement. This was earlier this year. Was you had to live 180 days in the residence to legitimately Airbnb it. And then Richmond City said, why don't we just make Airbnbs completely legal with no requirements? Then we get the tax revenue from the property itself and the lodging revenue on and, top of it. And, and we complement the region by driving more tourists and giving them a place to stay. Very unique approach. Tuesday, we closed our daughter's and son-in-law's house in Richmond. If you don't think that was part of the plan. Very unique. I, I think the Richmond idea is pretty damn good. We, they've got a garage that we're going to be converting into an Airbnb because they paid astronomical, astronomical amount of money, amount yeah, for, of a money starter home. for a starter home, and they have to offset their, their thing in there. But Bob's taking some notes. Why don't you jump in, Bob? And Bob, you've got yeah. a lot of people asking you questions right here. Oh, I'm sure, okay. yeah. Um, well, Keith, let me just first say, you know, affordable housing, housing affordability. After we leave this building today, and this should really be going out to the audience, they, they still won't know what the difference is. Um, it's like a difference without a meaning. So that's one of the issues that that's people... Fair. 
um, they're trying to get their input in so it makes a difference. Yeah, so when you say and the right word... Right from the beginning, that's, that's what it is. So, so we, this is live, by the way. Oh, yeah, but let me finish yeah, that up. Because you're, the, you're a professional. I know what you've been doing for a long time. It, it's like a doctor going into a doctor's office. And the doctor's talking one language and the patient is talking oh, yeah, another. Man. So that's what is the goal. Well, that's why, that's why we created the Regional Housing Partnership, because everybody in these four pillars weren't talking to each other. But you're 100% right. Um, uh, a dear friend of mine. Uh, and, uh, Robert I, Liberty? Uh, no, no. Well, that's a, different, that's a different thing. I was talking about our dear friend, Mr. Fairchild, oh. right? Oh. Uh, Did right? you see that post from Chris Fairchild, the Fluvanna County Board of Supervisor? Nope. He did a post on social media that basically said... If you want to come to Fluvanna and change Fluvanna, don't move to Fluvanna. Yeah. That's literally what he said. And he also said in that post, he will never, as long as he's an elected official, approve more development and density in Fluvanna. Yeah. Straight up said that. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? This is authentic. At least we know where the man you know stands. What? Uh, That's uh, all we want from our electeds uh, is we want to know where they stand. Yeah. So Chris and if they a, represent, it sounds like he's representing us. Fluvanna. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Chris... Uh, I would disagree with that, but Chris is a dear friend of mine of 30-some-odd years. I, I know him well. Our children grew up together. Uh, I love him dearly and respect everything, but we differ on our opinion on that. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why. We, just before you came in, we were having a conversation about policing, right, and we're 30 cops short, right? Well, part of the problem also is I'm trying to find a home for a newly police officer that wants to live in the city of Charlottesville but can't. Right? There's literally only one duplex for sale right now, and that's at 257. And this individual can't go over 215 because of the amount of money that they make, and there's not enough subsidy to come in and do the difference. So where I think housing affordability or, or having the people who serve us, Bob, the best, police officers, firemen, teachers, nurses, this, dupe, this concept of single-family detached turning into duplexes, there are some paths there that we can say if you're a police officer, you get whatever, some sort of extra money from a fund of some, some sort. But we need to keep these folks who serve us close to where they're serving us. Otherwise, to Jerry's point, they're going to go to some other county, make the same amount of money. And not have to commute. And not have to commute. Yeah. Well, let me tell you real quick. Um, uh, my wife... And I moved down here when she went to law school. I remember the story. Um, we couldn't find anything mm -hmm. in Charlottesville that we could afford. The rent was too high. I had just started my business. She had just started law school. Uh, it took us probably three years to save up. <clears throat> and even then, we had help from her mother. And I, and I built a Lowe's house, a small house, out in Earliesville. And that was almost 40 minutes drive in, 40 minutes drive out. Um, and after a while, we just that got burdensome, and one of my children needed medical care. So uh, we tried to. We knew what the city offered: uh, vibrancy. It offered hospitals, fairly close churches, libraries, a downtown, all of that stuff. So I was in construction, and I found a house um, close to here that was abandoned. Uh, and then we got it for $69,000. Good for you. So that was probably 40 years ago, something like that. And that was the only way we could move into the city because of the cost. So this affordable housing, housing affordability, whatever you want to call it, has been with us for as long as I've been in Charlottesville. Uh, it's just the numbers. It's a good thing, and it, there's a I, bad thing. But here's the difference, Bob. Um, you're 100% right. Came here in 1986, 19, got out of the Marine Corps in 86, came here in 87. We 
Jerry and I talk about this all the time. I, my first house, it was 18% interest on a $150,000, $125,000 house. So somebody does the math. That was a lot of money in yeah. 1988. But we've had such a spike in value since 2015. Single family detached, no new construction. 2015, the median sales price was 275. Today, year to date, it's 495. That's a 220k increase, 80 percent. The the cost to buy a home in eight years, single family detached, right? I'm not talking about attached. On it, in eight years, jumped up 80. That's the car footprint, right? No, or is that city of Charlottesville? City, I just okay, city is, only. This is a city Absolutely. program. I've, I've worked on city numbers. Nicely done. So. It's 275 eight years ago, 2015. 495 today. That's a, unless I've done my math wrong. That's 220 thousand dollar difference. I believe that relates out to about 80 percent. There's no question that I think right. upzoning has impacted those values because the land and the dirt is much more opportunistic now, and you have speculators seeing that opportunity and willing to pay higher the assessment or market value for that opportunity. I have a very pointed question that I have to ask of candidate Bob Fenwick. I think this is a very, very fair question, sir, um, but it is a pointed question. You referenced the house in the city of Charlottesville. <coughs> that house is on the market for sale now. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, can you give us some insight there? If you're living in, if you're running for city council, you got to live within city limits. Yeah, we're, we wouldn't. Well, you wouldn't move. It's just me now, so oh. we, I, no, we wouldn't move. Okay, and there'd be no stairs. Okay, you know. Okay, understood. The kind you of find out when you get to a certain but, age. Had yeah. I, I had to ask the man. What, what did you say? Question. Yeah. When we get to an institutional age, that's what I tell the real. Okay, yeah, so yeah, so yeah. so you're saying you're, you're looking for um, you're looking for a house in the city that may fit um, what's ahead. I'm sorry, may fit you're, what? What's ahead for you from you know the next 15, 20 years of your life. That's why you're considering moving. Is so the term saying? is you're looking for something to age in place. That's, yes. that's yeah. Kind of well, understood. Yeah, that's and, and that's what we do when we talk to a realtor. I, you know, i got to be close to a hospital. I want to be close to a church. Um, that's I want to be close to... Um, Rory Stolzenberg yeah. put on Twitter, asked me to ask you that question. Yeah. Literally just... Roy Stolzenberg, the planning commissioner, said, ask Bob this question. So, okay. hey, Bob. And, but, but real quick. And, and I happen to be a real estate agent, and I happen to be in the MLS uh, right now. Uh, okay. I, it's a beautiful home, Bob. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you've done a hell of a lot. No. Oh, yeah. 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 So there are only two homes available currently right now because what we're talking about is a primary suite <sighs> on the main level, right? We This side of the table. I think he's is, trying to close a deal here. I'm right? trying to close a deal. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think he's trying to close He didn't know. I actually do this for a living. Yeah. <laughs> There's only, but I want to make it make a point. There's only two for sale. One is six hundred and fifty thousand dollars in Fry Springs, and the other one is eight hundred and fourteen thousand dollars in Lockland Hill. Yeah, that's going to be a tough find for you, my friend. Yeah, it's going to be a tough find. Well, I mean, I can get one. I can get a fixer upper. I wouldn't want to. And and you know, Keith, we both know that real estate is cyclical. You got boom times and you got bad times. You you also you also uh, we have to get Mayor Sook in the mix because he's got yeah. something to say. But uh, candidate Fenwick is also. You said you paid sixty nine thousand for this house. Yes. Uh, may I say what it's listed currently? Well, it's public, it's public record. Yeah, it's public. Okay, I'm not I'm not trying to put you in a tough no, spot. No, no, no. I feel public. like I'm being fair here and doing my job. That's what I'm. One million four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. The asking price. I would imagine uh, with sixty nine thousand. That you purchased for, and the one million four hundred fifty thousand asking price. Yeah, that's but, a but nice fairness, chunk of money. In fairness, 
I bet you you refinance yeah. that a couple of times. Well, there's a little refinancing yeah. in there, and it's a business. It's a zone. Yeah. But let me. I'm not going to try to. So, so let's 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 get Lloyd to jump in in, in the conversation. Anything you want to <coughs> add to this? Well, on the most recent question, no. There you go. <laughs> well, how about this question for both the gentlemen? The community wants affordability with housing. And whether you're on the left or the right, a libertarian, a socialist, a Republican or Democrat, we want affordability with housing. Everybody does. Please explain this to me, very fair question. How can we seriously consider buying 23 acres from Wendell Wood on the Rivanna River that's going to kibosh 200 plus units of apartments when the whole concept is supply and demand, you add more supply to the ecosystem, prices will stabilize. That's the essence of upzoning. More supply, stabilizing pricing. Yet community outcry with a small portion of people on High Street is demanding that Mayor Snook and potentially you if you're on council in the dais buy this land from the largest property owner in Central Virginia at a premium and convert it into a park. From my perspective, and it's the perspective of a businessman, that seems hypocritical to me. Well, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay. Environmental concerns and housing concerns can both be advanced. Occasionally there will be trade-offs. Uh, this is a situation, I mean, what I have said is to, to the people on East High Street, and to be fair, it's not to the people living on East High Street, because there aren't any people living on East High Street. They're living Around. On, on the neighborhood streets, Fairway yeah. and, and, and so on, uh, Caroline, um, that if we're going to stop this, we need to be willing to buy it because we can't simply say to somebody, there's a perfectly legal use there, we're just not going to let you do it. Yeah. Uh, and so... Because uh, it's by right. That, it, that'll it, end well, up... Well, it's sort of by right. There are some really interesting complications to it. They've now advanced four different proposals trying to figure out how they can legally get access to the property. Uh, and This is Shimp? Well, Justin Shimp is involved with it. He's just yeah, he's Wendell, just Wendell Wood is the is the owner, mm -hmm. and then but Bo Carrington it, is uh, in the middle. The they would be, I gather, <clears throat> the folks who would be buying it to do all of the work. I That's mean, right. Wendell Wood typically doesn't do the development himself. He holds it until he sells it to a developer. There you go. And so the developer is is coming up with these proposals, one after another, after another, after another. The first proposal was clearly illegal under Virginia law. The second proposal, I, I, I don't know all of the details, but the final pro the, the proposal that they've made most recently uh, would you know, is is a way to technically comply with the law. Uh, the, the problem that I've got with it is that it doesn't really comply with our comprehensive plan. Our comprehensive plan does not envision uh, multifamily residential over there. The current zoning permits it uh, only because most of it was zoned for business use, basically because it was the only use that was permissible to allow the, the circus that would oh, come yeah, there right, every yeah, year. Right, and yeah. they didn't, when, when it was last rezoned umpteen years ago, that was sort of the thought that yeah. people had in mind. Uh, but I don't think anybody seriously contemplated at the time that you would be crazy enough to be putting 200-plus units in the floodplain. Well, forget <laughs> about the traffic impacts there. Well, yeah, the traffic oh, is another problem. But the, you know, the, 
unfortunately, the way things work is that the traffic impacts are things that a developer gets to stick the city with, whereas building in a floodplain is their problem, and we've got to figure out, uh, again, consistent with our comprehensive plan, is this a use that is consistent with the comprehensive plan or not? And a couple of things have been pointed out to me fairly recently about ways that city council can say to the developer, uh, or, or can the city council can say to the planning commission, planning commission, this is talking about extending public works, about extending a street that they want us to accept as a street, uh, and as such, you, planning commission, need to certify to us that this is consistent with the comprehensive plan, and if you can't, maybe the deal can't go forward. So, I mean, I, again, I get back to the point that ultimately, I, in, in fairness, if we're going to say you can't do what you're currently trying to do and what we want to have happen, if we, what we want to have happen is that it remains either essentially uh, parkland or land that is consistent with being part of the, the, the floodplain and right next to the river and, and all that, we need to be willing to buy it. Now, whether we buy it for the million dollars that it's currently assessed at. Or Wendell or, <coughs> using a little bit of leverage. <coughs> the public outcry is leverage to get a premium on that property. Well. If I was Wendell Wood and the dude's in the catbird seat and he's a crafty guy and he knows how to negotiate a deal, I would leverage public outcry to get a premium on this land from taxpayers. Well, uh, would you? Yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, our answer is yeah, if we decide we want to go that way, and I'm not and he watches the show. His son does. That's fine. Okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not committing anything on this, but if, if the city says we want it and we're willing to pay a fair price for it, then we can go into the eminent domain process uh, and let the court decide what the fair value is. And right now, my understanding is that the law is that their, uh, their rights, uh, the, the value would get calculated based upon the rights that they have, the vested rights that they have. Which would be the by right use. Well, uh, well, at this point, they don't have an approved site plan. So they don't have a vested right at this point. But that's a legal argument that is, frankly, beyond my pay grade. I'm glad that we're hiring a new city attorney who knows a whole lot more about <laughs> that this That sounds extremely complicated. Now, how yes. many times do you get that as a lawyer? Hey, what do you think about this? I do want to make a correction. It's like being a doctor at a, at a cocktail party. And Mr. Hey, Fenwick, doc, what about this thing on my Mr. Arm? Fenwick deserves an opportunity to speak he, on this because this is a key issue. He, he does, uh, but I, mean, I need you to put a pin. Just think about okay. this because I need to make a correction. Yeah. I misquoted the numbers on the houses. What I was looking at was what sold, right? So the okay. information I did, I just wanted to make sure to get the record straight. What's active, I had, I had a, is zero. So there's actually zero homes. But go ahead, Bob. I just okay. wanted to set well, the let me straight. let me um, if I can get my. So somebody will here. check it for sure. Um, the um, what people aren't talking about as well is it's not just the value of the land. There's an economic opportunity there if you have property on a river, uh, and they're they would certainly you know. Oh, they would rent they, in they a heartbeat. Would for that, they would yeah. rent in a heartbeat. Yeah, so that's it's not just the land; it's yeah. the economic opportunity, the tax upside. You're yeah. saying? Are you saying tax upside for the city well, and no, the, the income, economic no, ecosystem the, the income, that has improved on High Street? The income for the developer. It, it, okay. I mean, that's well, what, that's what they're in business income, for. It's direct income. It's all kinds of different. Yeah, all kinds. And of you things. also have the issue. We started the program with perception and reality. We yeah. also have the issue that the city is kiboshing housing from a perception standpoint. That's the perception that people will have here. 
So, or they would say the city is protecting the floodplain from a developer who wants to put 200 units in the floodplain. That's called branding and advertising, yeah. and that's my specialty right there, and that's going to be difficult to sell. Well, the city is dealing with what we have. We have 10.2 square miles of land. We will never get more than that unless we buy a school outside somewhere. So that's why I push back a little bit with you, Bob, on the cyclical thing. We, you and I have been in the business for a long time. Everybody who watched the show knows. And, and Ray Cadell is Bob's agent. He wants, <laughs> you, he wants you to know that. Ray Cadell okay. put it in the feed. Yeah. He said, by the way, Keith, Mr. Uh, Fenwick has not one but two pretty good real estate agents. Yeah, yeah. Julie, is it G? G Julie G. Julie uh, G and myself. Uh, yeah. We have his current home listed, and we'll be sure he lands in the city in a house that he wants. So I, I, <laughs> Ray Cadell. Yeah, I, I love it. I got to tell you. you Ray Cadell is protecting his client over here. You could not have picked a better person. Well, I, hey, I knew that, Keith. Um, you could not have both picked of those, a better person. He's also giving props answers. to uh, Mayor Snook. He says, Bob Fenwick and Mayor Snook are two clear-thinking public servants, whatever their politics are. Well, the, well, I think our politics actually are pretty close. We just might have a little difference. Well, so, you know, one of the great things about this conversation is we may be landing on different sides of a specific issue, but we're actually having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, we're, we're, not, we're not not showing up to yeah. have a conversation, right? Uh, we're actually having a conversation. All right, let so me jump good. in. Well, sure, one quick ahead. note um, about the property down on that they're next to the river down mm -hmm. there uh and it's going to hit on what i said i think in the intro here there's a young lady who is sort of ramriding the the effort of the citizens to get input she as of a month ago she had tried to talk to nds neighborhood development service for one year mm -hmm. to get a phone call returned they wouldn't even return her phone call so that's the kind of thing and i hear this kind of business that was sort of a, a you know way way more than most people but that's what i was talking about and if you have the citizens involved you don't have this angst and this anxiety that we feel in our city now i couldn't agree with you more bob um I, i've been uh waiting. mayor snook has said though we've given the citizens ample opportunity to get involved this has been going on for a long time in a very public fashion and to mayor snook's point if folks are late to the party with involvement and they missed the opportunity to get involved, who is that on? Well, let, and let's be clear. I think what I, I'm it's not sure that Bob was service. talking about yeah. the upzoning issue, which is what our conversation I think you're talking about community involvement just in totality. Just customer service. Well, like I said, everything's tied together. Yeah. Uh, so You're talking about customer service, right? The direct Absolutely, yeah. Like a manager would come in and say, if a phone call comes in, yeah. I'm going to make sure you return it within one day. Yeah, I, I can tell you, uh, uh, again, this is more of a land trust stuff, but a project that we did on Nassau Street, I'm still trying to get my bond money back after three years. So it, yeah. it, 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 but I will say, in fairness to the city, under the current leadership, it's a thousand percent better than oh. it was a couple of years no, ago. Look, look yeah. nobody expects us to be perfect, but we can yeah. be better. It's That's, customer service. Yeah. And, and, and you got to give props to Mayor Snook, you got to give props to Michael Payne, Juan Diego Wade, Brian Pinkston, um, Leah Perrier, got to give props to Cena McGill. The, I think he used the term stabilize the organization. What Mayor Snook did, and they have done that. They have stabilized the organization. So you got to give props to these folks here. It's completely different than what it used to be. So thank you, Mayor. So, Bob. I, I always say I take one-fifth of the credit. Well, it takes leadership, so thank you. The, so, Bob, right, cops, firemen, teachers, yeah. right? 
Yeah, I heard the same thing from a, well, I, I won't give the person sex, but a, a firefighter. Couldn't find anything in the yeah. in town. Mm -hmm. um, so, so how do we help It's that? called drive to you qualify. Um, that's why people go to Flupana. <laughs> you, know you know what the crazy thing is? That term right there, it's been drive expanded. to qualify, legitimately was coined on this side. Yeah. And we, we housing coined affordability. It, housing affordability. Yeah. We we coined a new one. You fly to you qualify now. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, it, the folks are now going to Harrisonburg and all that stuff to work he, to work to work here. So so Bob, let what's the solution? What is your solution to go ahead and well let's, let's let me jump real quick yeah, sure. because uh, you know we don't have to reach perfection right away. Well, we, we, we no all no matter what we come up with, and I hope the citizens are involved in a meaningful way. Because it's not just carpenters and, you know, it's, we have consultants that live in the city who try to give, make their opinion felt, and they don't feel like anything is happening. So um, go ahead. Say that question again because I just had to get that out. Yeah, sure. I, I think that the question – How do you get middle-income and lower-income oh, okay. people to live in the Charlottesville city limits? Right, well, let, me, let, let, me, let me start this way. You, yes, first sir. of all, you take care of the easy stuff, and, and it's mainly so what is what is the easy stuff? Well, let me give you an example in some of the projects. Uh, they have people dedicated to maintenance. And when I was on council, uh, I would drive by, and you could see doors were open, screens were torn. It was obviously abandoned. Um, and I'd ask them, why aren't these things being maintained? Why don't, why don't turn this unit over and get another family in there? Turned out that they had... Uh, say they had on the books 25 jobs that they should fill, and they had only had 15 jobs filled at minimum wage. And back then we were still fighting for a minimum wage that mirrored the federal minimum wage. So as, whatever we get, whatever we come to... But that doesn't even come close. Oh, no, 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 but I'm, my point is always start there yeah. while we're doing this other stuff. Because in that case that I'm talking about, that would have been probably 30 to 45 units. So all of this stuff, and, and it's still going to be a situation with 10.2 square miles yeah. that we can only pack so much stuff in here before we really affect the quality of life and the reason why people want to move here. So uh, we've, another thing we've coined on the show is turning red tape into green tape. 95% uh, of any new construction unit is red tape. So there's a place... To help, right? There's a there's a place there to kind of reduce this red tape and this particular cost to go ahead and, and move it move it forward. As the recovering developer in the room, generally what a, what any developer is really looking for is give me a good playbook, give me a give me give me the rules, and don't change them, and don't change them. Yeah, and 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 I think that's what any businessman wants. And I think the the zoning rewrite, look, perfect. Don't let perfect get in the way of good, right? It, it's going in the right direction, in my opinion, personal opinion, on that end of it. But it'll get reworked as time goes on because you're going to learn lessons that's going to go ahead and, cha and, change, and change it. But, you know, get, it's a good book. It's a good roadmap. It's a good set of blueprints, right? That's what you work from. It's a good, set of, it's a good blueprint to move forward. You know, my personal opinion, and, and, and this may make some folks un unhappy, I agree with, with Lloyd, um, and I've said it publicly on the show, this isn't going to produce a lot. This is you're not going to see multi-story. I think mul this is going to end up backfiring. It's going to make the land so opportunistic in theory that it's driving up the cost of the dirt because of the potential, and it's not even going to yield the density it, we're it, talking. It's not. 
But, Bob, you know what, what I found out? Because I'm part of a, a, a team out in Portland and Seattle. When they adopted, you know what they figured out? They figured out the, the building code didn't let them do what they wanted to do. Right? right. And so they went through this whole process, adopted everything to, to Lloyd's point. Like, we'll take a, a, a single-family detached sort of turning into a duplex. But guess what happens now? Right? You're a builder. You've got to now put a two-hour separation. You've got to have multiple exits and so forth and so on. And it turned out that it didn't happen because the cost of converting these to meet the, the, the building code. So one of the things I hope happens here is the planning department talks to your building department and say, hey, the things we're trying to do, can you actually do it? Uh, I'm not talking about parking. I'm talking about taking your home that's on the market and carving <clears throat> it up into four <clears throat> units or whatever number of units. Yeah. And you'll find out the cost to do that is super expensive and it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, well, then one thing, and I know you're itching to get in here, Lloyd, but um, once you codify something, once it becomes law, it's hard to take it back. That's another issue I have with the zoning proposal. If, if, because once you codify something, people will start investing money based on that law. Sure. And if you go into court, the judge is going to look at the equities. Um, sure. I'll just leave it at that. So. You're, and, that's 100% correct. And to, to touch on the, this question of you know, the fact that it's not going to make a huge difference right away, one of the things that the consultants had suggested to us is that we come up with a system where we have a lot of different dials we could turn sure. that might increase the capacity, that might increase the, uh, the, the rate at which this change would occur. And the idea was you don't have to turn them all up to 10 yeah. right at the beginning. Maybe you turn them up a little bit to three or four and see how that works, and then maybe you want to turn some other. The, the idea being that, uh, for one thing, uh, change, change of property rights generally only works in one direction. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to scale back something that you have once given. And the reason for that is, is not purely you know, constitutional taking issues and things like that, but the reality is if you, <clears throat> if you enable a particularly ugly use, a particularly offensive use in a residential neighborhood and it gets built, then other people on the street are going to say, oh, I can do that too, I want to do that too, or more accurately, some people will say, yuck, I want out of here, I'm going to sell and then they sell to somebody who wants that uglier use. And so what we see in, in effect is that this kind of thing works like a ratchet. Mm -hmm. It only goes up, and you're not going to be able to ratchet it back. So what, I, what I've suggested to people is let's take, let's take a more limited approach, try it for five years, mm -hmm. see what we think. If it works, if it's doing good things, maybe we leave it alone. If it's not doing enough good things, maybe we turn something else up to, you know, up to from four to six or something like that. But the, the whole idea, I think, uh, one of the things we have to keep in mind as we look at all of the different restrictions and different uh, things that the, the, the consultants have recommended changing, and I will say that virtually all of them came from various members of the Planning Commission. They didn't come just spring full-blown out of the minds of the consultants. But the, a number of the Planning Commissioners came up with some of these things. We have to look at what's on what I will term the critical path. What is it that actually is going to limit or drive the number of units that can be built on a particular lot? And it turns out under the current formulation, 
although we've got all kinds of things about 2,500 square foot sublots, and I'm not getting into the technicalities, it turns out that what really it seems to be the limiting factor is the provision that would require a road frontage of at least 40 yeah. feet. Uh, and so you're not going to be able to take one of these lots and divide it into four different pieces because you don't have 160 feet worth of road frontage. And so when you actually look at all of the things that are going to be limiting factors and you recognize that the things that people are getting most upset about aren't actually going to be relevant to the decision, I think we as, as, as drafters of the policy ought to find a way to, to limit the fights that we're going to have to those things that matter and to not put into the equation a whole bunch of fights that aren't going to matter. So I'm a big uh, believer in plagiarism and stealing things, so I'm going to steal your ratchet analogy because that's far better, because that's what I was thinking. But the question is, who, has their, who controls those two ratchets? What entity controls those ratchets going up? Right, because we know city council. City council. So city council ultimately. The, the, the way that I would be looking at it is that, <coughs> excuse me, that we would have these these uh, variables that we could change, but they would have to be changed at the council level by re by tweaking the statute, by tweaking the ordinance. So I think that's important to Bob's point about the public and folks feeling like they're being engaged. And I ask that question for a reason, because some of the stuff I hear is the bureaucrats are going to have their hands on yeah. that ratchet. So clearly the ratcheting up, or one notch at a time, this is working, is going to be controlled by whoever's elected. It's uh, going to be governed by ordinance, which is going to be governed by the council. That's why elections matter, Neil Williamson. That's from yeah. you, sir. Um, let, me, let me throw in there just Please. something a little more general. It's, it's sure. the consent of the governed. Because it's not just us discussing this, although this is a terrific discussion that's going on here, uh, it's we have certain guidelines, country, uh, federal, state, sure. and of course the city. So, um, e pluribus unum, from many come one. We the people, uh, I've preached that kind of stuff for many, many years, um, and all and the citizens of Charlottesville for different reasons believe that it's in our DNA. Sure. So. Look, I give, kind you, of all, the birthplace I give of you all props, yeah, you know, for what we're doing here, because Lloyd and I are not that much different. If the if the senior staff would sit down with some of these citizen organizations, I think this would it would be valuable for everybody. Well, that that requires leadership from the top down. So that that comes from the from from the council down to the city manager and so forth and so on. You got an engineer making a point that may help with the negotiation with Wendell Wood. Um, in similar vein, this is from Carly Wagner. Um, she's background in real estate and an engineer. In a similar vein, the planning department should talk to FEMA and the building department about cost and feasibility of building and insuring in the flood floodplain yeah. to call the bluff or for nothing else, have accurate information for land negotiations if they end up uh, and if they end up uh, pursuing the purchase of land. Well, so, let, let me mention an interesting little aspect of the floodplain analysis, <laughs> that the engineer behind this project is Justin Shimp. 
The current floodplain lines were revised just a few years ago on a submission by Justin Shin. Of course. He's a smart guy. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Nothing illegal about it. He knows how to it. play the game. Uh, and, uh, but the reality is that, and this the same thing came up a couple of years ago on Nassau Street, uh, but in this particular case, I mean, people remember seeing the floods True. on the circus grounds. That is not ancient history. That's actual memory. And the the argument is he's going to put a 15-foot retaining wall in there to keep the flooding from away from his property. What that means effectively, of course, is that you're channelizing the water. You're make, making it rush faster and more erosively on other people's property. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we're not supposed to be approving building in the floodplain, even though we think we might be able to protect what we are personally building. So uh, th this issue of where the floodplain line ought to go is uh, something that uh, there's, there's currently some hydrological study going on uh, along those lines. I don't know if it's going to come out anytime soon, but we were told last year that there was a study that was being done and, and it may enable us to know whether this this particular set of floodplain lines is truly accurate. Well, that's a super smart move. I know a little bit about this. This is this is my world. Um, some of these floodplain lines were set up, you know, long time ago before GIS was was happened. And so, if you if this a good investment, in my opinion, of money from the city is to go through and actually figure out where it is, you know, from a surveying perspective and create an actual plan. That's generally sometimes what happens with these floodplains, and Carly will probably either agree, agree with me, I would assume. Sometimes they're old. In this particular case, they're not, right? But in some cases, you know, oh, the map is showing the floodplain, but you go out and shoot the grades, and the map and GIS is off by a tremendous, a tremendous amount. So a lot of floodplains get changed that way because reality happens. Oops, the old one was off. But in this case, I've been here long enough to know to see that thing flood a bunch, a bunch of times. Um, I got a lot of stuff. Uh, and we're at 1134. Um, Mayor Snook, some insight into the city manager search. Um, if you could offer any perspective, mm -hmm. I feel like we're in the bottom of the ninth inning here. Um, and then also I have to ask respectfully, the, clande the clandestine nature of this search has contrasted with previous searches. I respect that you're interviewing candidates that are active in other positions and they fear they may lose their job if they are on a short list for a city manager hire in Charlottesville. But at the same time, as a taxpayer in the city myself, I was hoping for a little bit of communication from government on who the next CEO of Charlottesville, Virginia was going to be. Well, okay, so the sort of the status of things, I wouldn't say we're in the bottom of the ninth, but maybe we're in the top of the ninth. It's getting okay. close. Okay. Uh, we interviewed a number of candidates, all excellent. As I've said, uh, a good uh, mix of black, white, male, female. Um, we've got some discussions we've still got to have among ourselves. As far as the question of you know, what, what kind of public engagement we can offer, the basic problem that we had was that if we were going to hire somebody from outside of Charlottesville, they didn't want to be outed. Yeah. And so if we go to a, a completely open process, we end up either with candidates from outside of Charlottesville who are less than 
the top drawer, or we end up with only internal candidates, neither one of which I think is, is a good approach. So uh, the, the consultant, uh, the hiring consultant we were using, we actually have, have access to a couple different folks like this, uh, said, okay, we, we have done a very thorough vetting of these folks. We've done all the Google searches. We've done all the newspaper searches, everything else. Uh, which, by the way, had not been done when Dr. Richardson was hired, and that was not done with an external consultant, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, and so we've we've got a lot of that uh, a lot of that work having been done. And the question: If we end up with an external candidate as our top choice, would we have some sort of a process before formally voting on that person? Probably yes, but I don't know. I, I don't. I really don't want to get into a situation where we sacrifice the best candidate on the altar of, you know, giving everybody a chance to take their pound of flesh out first. That's a fair response. I totally appreciate that response, and I'm and, and ideally, if I had to weigh the scales of justice, of transparency, or having the most qualified best candidate be the CEO of the city, I would want the most qualified best candidate. Amen. So I respect your process. I also appreciate what the citizens have said of being someone in the dark, and it sounds like you appreciate that as well, yep. especially since previous searches were so transparent. Um, any thoughts that you'd like to offer on this? This is an important one here. This well, is well, pretty much the person <clears throat> running the city. Yeah, this is not to second-guess the process. Um, this is just ordinary citizen talking. I couldn't help but kind of get the um, feeling that this is like a draft situation. Um, you, you, you do your homework. Uh, you have people advising you, and you're deciding on, a, on different merits. Uh, and then you take your best shot. Whether that turns out for the team, you won't know for a couple years. So what I just offer was I, I would not hurry this. I would not pressure, apply any pressure that I had to come to a quick decision on this. This is pretty important. Somebody said we've had four or five city managers, and I don't know if that figure is correct. Oh, no, no. That figure, it, well, it depends on the window. Yeah, yeah. If I we're mean, talking from, like, <laughs> Mike Murphy till now, it's been a carousel yeah. of city managers. That's safe to say. Well, a carousel yeah, of city Even managers. before Mike. Well, we had institutional memory before Mike. We had... Uh, well, Mr. Jones, Maurice that Jones went to Chapel Hill. No, I'm just saying, as, as far as people responding to the new leader, that kind of a deal. Um, Since Maurice Jones, it's been a carousel of city managers. But that's not unusual in public bodies. This this prolific this nature is unusual. Very much so, and and it and it it kind of it kind of went down to where things were functioning at that. Oh, absolutely. At that particular. And time. you're choosing your words carefully. I'm choosing my words very yeah. very carefully on that end of it. <clears throat> uh, do you want to add a little bit to that, to the conversation? Well, I, you know, we had, if you would go back to the beginning of 2018, we had Maurice Jones, Mike Murphy, Teron Richardson, John Blair. In Watching the show. For three months. Uh, Chip Boyles. Chip Boyles. Uh, we had about three months where we didn't have anybody. Well, you had uh, Sam Sanders. Sam Sanders yeah, yeah. was sort of the senior deputy, right? So but he was still that. a deputy. He wasn't really an, even an acting city manager. Uh, then we had uh, Robert Bob Group. Well, uh, no. Oh yeah, the guy that quit before he took the job. Yeah, right. Yeah, Mark that's Foley. right. Yeah. Uh, and and then we we get to the Robert Bob Group, and we interviewed three 
of their recommended uh, candidates, and we picked Michael Rogers. So that's at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, perhaps. Uh, seven and, and a half. And then, then a couple of, a couple of half somewhere. Yeah, in, in, in the last four or five years. And, you know, since, since we wound up in January... Uh, bringing Michael Rogers in, he has brought a great deal of stability. He's I been mean, great. It, you know, he's he's a he's a seasoned yeah, pro. Right. So, so can he be the guy? Can Michael Rogers is Michael Rogers the guy? Are we going to hire Michael Rogers? Uh, I will tell you that he is one of the finalists we've been talking to. If if just a taxpayer's opinion here, I pay, I pay a lot of taxes on this building. Okay, we're talking ten thousand dollars plus here. That's a lot of money. Hey, I'm two blocks away. I know, I know what you're talking okay. about. Okay. I, I feel the sting. Okay. And that's a lot of money. We may have real estate wealth, but it's not necessarily... You get it. I, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Michael Rogers seems like the right answer. He's already got a tryout. The tryout's going damn good. People like him. And he's willing to stay in the background, out of the limelight, and just run the city. Well, and, and I will say, <clears throat> one of the things we've done is, over the course of the last year or so, a, f- a few things have happened. One is, when we hired the police chief, the same group, PolyHire, did a sort of a community survey about you know, community needs and perceptions and so on. We also had, as part of the strategic plan process that we started, we had some focus groups and, and this kind of thing and as well as getting some opinions from members of, of the city staff. And there were a couple of things that people said, whether they were citizens or whether they were pe- people working in City Hall or just what, stability was the number, number one, one no thing. Uh, stability and let people in government do their jobs. And uh, you know, people would sometimes talk about uh, yes, it's fine to be progressive, but we want a government that works. And it is no coincidence that the one TV ad I cut during this commercial, during this season... It was a good commercial. Was, I talk about, this is progressive government that works. That's what people want, that's what people expect, and that's what we've tried to give them in the last few years. I think you've done it. I just want a government that works where our elected officials are in the background and they don't realize that it's about themselves, but it's instead about doing what's good for taxpayers and small business owners like me that have a six-month-old and a five-year-old and a stay-at-home wife, you know, that, that is the bedrock of our family. And, and we just want to keep the lights now. on, Bob. I just want to keep the lights on and feed my kids. That's all I want to do. So why this conversation about city manager is so important, what kind of government do we have? We have, a, manager we have a managed government. We don't have a strong it's mayor. It's a weak right. mayor. Yeah. We don't have a strong mayor. So or that's a strong council either. Very different matter. than Richmond, for example, for those that don't right. need an yeah. example. That's With exactly. Mr. Mayor Stoney. Yeah. So at, at the end of the day, the influence on, on the city council is to hire the right person. This is probably one of the most important things. The most that, important decision yeah. we make. It is the most important decision. I, I mean, I don't want to, like... I would, say, I, would, here. I would say budget. I'm reading is, between is the lines there. here. Mayor Snooks already broke some news that Tito Durrett is retiring at the end of this month. That's breaking news there. Uh, the second piece of breaking news is that Michael Rogers is on the short list of candidates for city manager. And I know this man fairly well. He's transparent and straightforward, Mayor Snook. Sounds like Michael Rogers is very seriously being considered for this position. So, Bob. No comment. One of the secret sources of what we do here 
Jeremy and I three three times a week is this long format. This is what we do. It's, it's can't get taken out of context. Well, look, this yeah. is a whole lot better than a forum where I have maybe one minute or two minutes to talk and, about and these and things. This so. is why I invited you to, to have an opportunity. You invited everybody uh, to sit down and do this. The, in, the invitation stays open if you should be successful and get on. You know, I do. We do on Fridays what we call coffee with and whatever. But this is what this is. This is a long format conversation. Poor Jerry's fingers get worked I, to the bone. I can't even get to all the comments here. Because so all who, the comments come in and, and yeah, do So it. who serves the coffee? I, what did it leave I'm me? I'm going to get the... Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. <laughs> hey, Bob. <laughs> Bob, when you show up at 10 o'clock, you get the coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, <that was> okay. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't pass the dig. Well, listen, Bob yeah. was working. He was working. Ding. Okay. All right. So we got to close here. It's yeah, yeah. Because eleven thirty. And I got another up. show coming up at twelve thirty, and this man's going to have to scramble. But these guys should get final words on on anywhere they want to go. Uh, I sincerely mean this. I think this gentleman, candidate Fenwick, has a very real chance of being elected here. And I sincerely mean this. We are going to have a temperature of Charlottesville and how it has changed Wednesday from morning. a progressive standpoint, or has not changed from a progressive standpoint with you. And whether or not you get on the dice, I'm sure you have already thought I about this. I can't wait for can Wednesday, you Wednesday, Wednesday show. Dude, it's going to be awesome. We're, we're going to know. I'm a junkie for this stuff. <laughs> I live for this. I love this stuff. I know everybody here loves it. I just love the local news stuff here. Show us yours. Wrap up, Bob. Okay. Well, look, I appreciate what you all do, and I appreciate the kind words. Um, what I offer to the community is 55-plus years in business. I have negotiated. I've written contracts, sometimes to my regret. Um, but you stuck with them, though, and, right? And I stuck with them, and that's yeah, part yeah. of the deal. Uh, lived here. I know the city. I know when we had a, a uh, Korean War jet fighter plane in McIntyre Park. I remember the blue laws, so I go back a long ways. Uh, it's a beautiful city. We have people here who are very, very talented. Um, and, and one of my biggest things would be citizen participation. Whether it's coming on this show or going to neighborhood associations, um, I made it a practice of going to different churches just so I could see the people and see how the differences between the communities was. It is not that big. Uh, it's common sense. What, if I'm successful, I get a little button up on the dais, and it's yes, no, or abstain. It's usually almost yes or no. So this is really not rocket science. I have a lot of people to call on to to ask questions of and to see what the citizens being governed is all about so thanks for having me here this is quite a setup uh thanks to lloyd um i think this back and forth had been civil that's the oh, way yeah. it should be always uh so you, it's like buying a car you're not gonna neither side is gonna be happy but when you get up from the table you know you shouldn't be cussing oh, you apparently never seen him negotiate oh, okay. <laughs> It's not true. It's not true. The I, best negotiations are when yeah, yeah. everyone leaves the table a feeling a little sting. A little unhappy. Because that means it's fair. Well, Those uh, are the best That ones. means everybody Real quick, won. last time I was on with this guy, I could get a word in edgewise. Yeah. So he settled down quite a bit. Oh, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. You are always welcome here, and the environment will always be one that follows the golden rule of respect. We don't have to agree, but we just have to have a conversation with respect. I think we did that. Mayor Snook, the show is yours. I just want to... <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about what is what has been different on city council for the last couple of years. That uh, one of the things that I tried to make sure we did as, when, as, when I became mayor was that I talked to everybody on council before every meeting, that I knew before we went into the meeting 
what the issues were going to be that we were going to be fighting about. In many cases, we had worked things out ahead of time. In many cases, I had been able to figure out, well, I'll give you an example. Say there's a 15-page uh, collective bargaining ordinance, but we knew there were maybe 15 things we wanted to talk about and 15 things that the union people wanted to talk about. And I went through council and I said, okay, we've got agreement on this. We don't have to fight about this one. Let's pick the, let's get down to the three things that we're really fighting about. And by talking to one another, and more importantly, by listening to one another, we occasionally actually changed each other's minds so that we didn't have to have these long 2 a.m. kinds of meetings at city council and that didn't mean that we weren't having disagreements. It meant that we were solving them. We were resolving them in a, in a good manner uh, by listening to, to one another ahead of time. And so, you know, a couple months ago, the Seville, Seville tomorrow, I can, I can never remember the names these days, uh, had a, their movers and shakers issue, and they had me Seville up there. Seville Weekly. Seville Weekly. And they, they said, you know, Lloyd Snook. Four words, shorter city council meetings. <laughs> I love it. And that's not to say we weren't discussing the issues. It is to say we were coming to decisions about issues in an orderly fashion. And that's an important part of what needs to happen, that, that when you talk to one another, you, that there are no surprises, that you talk to one another and, and you know what's going to happen uh, or, or at least you know where the issues are. People may change their minds, but at least they're respectful about it. And so uh, that's, that's an important thing that we've tried to do in the last couple of years. It's an important thing that I hope we will continue in the next four years. So that's I, beautiful. Well said. I, I have said this more than once, and you alluded it, you said it earlier in the show, to do the job correctly, it's a minimum of 40 hours a week. So Is that true? Is that how much you guys are grinding? I, I, I wouldn't say it's a minimum. Uh, to be mayor, probably 40. To be a counselor, certainly 20. You're, oh, my you're God. Clock, you're clocking 40 a week probably, easily? Probably. If wow. you kept track In part because I respond to so many emails. When do. people say, nobody ever responds to me, well, try emailing me because I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of emails oh. I respond to in a week. Wow. That's impressive. Well, I, you've... There's committees that you're on, because I know, because yeah. I see you in a couple of yeah. ones that I, I, I'm sitting at. So it, it takes a lot of work to go ahead and do this. So my hat's off the fact that you guys are trying to get back into the spot again. I understand better than most how much work it takes and family commitment. So thank you for coming on. Long format. Anytime, Bob, you're welcome. Lloyd, you're always welcome. Just wander down the hall and walk in. But thank you, gentlemen, for taking Watch your time. Watch out for the puddles. Watch out for the puddles. That's an inside joke. joke. we got a leak in the building here. Right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, the I Love Seville show, guys, is up in 40 minutes. We have Supervisor Jesse Rutherford of Nelson County in the studio, mm -hmm. and we're going to talk everything government here in Central Virginia. Can you tell it's election season, and can you tell I'm excited? Thank you kindly for joining us. Take care, everybody. Thank you. That was awesome. Thanks, thanks, Great gentlemen. Yeah. Bob, you're the helmet, John. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Seriously.